0: Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to The Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to Episode 133 of The Flying Free Podcast. One of the questions I hear all the time on social media, on my blog, on my podcast, and in my programs is, how do I tell the difference between an abuser and a normal person? Because, I mean, I sometimes yell. Sometimes I want my husband to do what I want him to do. Am I being controlling? Sometimes I get angry and annoyed. Sometimes I'm critical and judgy towards others. Maybe everyone is an abuser. And it kind of makes me feel bad that we're all just broken people. Maybe it's better if we just keep trying to help one another and forget about labeling people and just understand that everyone is just trying to make it in this life. And if I married a mean man, maybe if I'm nicer and more empathetic, he'll change. Doesn't love change everything? That all sounds like a beautiful story full of love and hope and pink cotton candy on a stick. If you throw in the words forgiveness and grace, you've practically got yourself a new chapter of the Bible. I can see the gears turning in your brain. You're wondering how I can explain away all these lovely things, but I'm going to do no such thing. All those lovely things are true, but it's a glass of lemonade with a tiny little mouse turd at the bottom. (laughs) Sorry, Charlie, but I'm all about the lemonade. Just leave out the poopies. So, today I'm going to help you understand how to tell the difference between an abusive individual... And a normal person with garden variety problems. And we're going to keep all the pretty parts about love and forgiveness and hope and get rid of the turd, too. It'll be delicious when we're done, I promise. Remember when you were in the fourth grade and there was that kid, or maybe even two or three kids in your class who were naughty? They said swear words. They would make fun of kids who were littler than them or bad at sports. They would make faces behind the teacher's back and do all kinds of naughty things to other kids in such a way that they wouldn't get caught, but then the other kid would get in trouble. I don't know what it was about my generation, or at least the kids in my particular neighborhood, but I knew a lot of kids like this growing up. And then there were the kids who were the victims of the bullies. They would try to keep their heads down and be as invisible as possible, but the bullies would spot them anyway and find something to make fun of. And then there were the kids who tried to be cool with the bullies, you know, to stay out of the line of fire. Everyone knew who was who in the zoo in the fourth grade. And then everyone's bodies changed and got bigger. And some of them grew more mature in their perspective. They grew up to be able to see and understand that the world is big and full of lots of people. And all of those people have minds and hearts of their own. And their perspectives and stories and lives are also valid. These kids grew up and learned to respect themselves and others. They grew up to be adults. Not only did they have adult bodies, but they were emotional adults as well. But some of the kids, while getting adult bodies, did not grow up emotionally. Some of the bullies grew up to be bigger bullies. Their bully tactics got more sophisticated, but they were never able to get past age 10 or 11 emotionally. And other kids grew up with programming that said they were worthless and small. And they tried to look for validation and love and acceptance outside of themselves. They didn't have respect for themselves, just for who they were, and they held the opinions of others too highly. So they would try to get love and acceptance in lots of different ways, through good grades, a good career, money, popularity. In Christian circles, if you were a wife who had a husband who was a leader, or maybe you were a leader yourself of the women's ministry or something, if you had the most kids or homeschooled, followed all the rules, being a good Christian woman, you know, according to whatever denomination you were in, and their particular set of good Christian woman rules. I think some men who grew up feeling small also felt that if they had control over their family, over their wife and their money and her time and attention and body that then they would be respected and would subsequently feel like an adult. But that's not being an adult. None of that is emotional adulthood. That's emotional childhood. And I think a lot of abusive men are stuck in emotional childhood. And so are a lot of survivors. I know I was. I still am sometimes. I see the ways I react to circumstances that are part of my programming, and I see how my default is to go straight into emotional childhood. This isn't something to be ashamed of, but it is something to be aware of, to be curious about, to observe with compassion and love. An abuser is never going to be able to get to the kind of self-awareness they need to overcome their emotional childhood. It's fascinating because I've watched counselors and church leaders try hard to help abusers get to emotional adulthood, but they try in vain. An abuser cannot see himself. He is blind, and if you try to show him, he will try to destroy you. But a survivor? I help survivors grow up every single day. Most survivors are all about looking at themselves and trying to figure out what they did wrong and how to do it better. It's kind of how you can tell the difference. You'll never see an abuser say, What if I'm the abuser? But you hear survivors say that all the time. Survivors almost always take personal responsibility. That's why Bible counselors and church leaders put all the responsibility on them. Because they take it. But the mistake the Bible counselors and church leaders make is to also put the abuser's stuff on the woman and make her responsible for that, too. So now she is responsible for herself and also for her adult husband. They don't actually know who is responsible for what. Case in point, when I decided to divorce my ex-husband, the leaders and people helpers in my church said I was in sin and rebellious. They told me that if I would do what they told me to do and get back together with my husband, I could stay with them. And if I didn't, I had to get kicked out. They wanted to give me the responsibility of keeping my marriage or my husband happy and my marriage intact so that we could stay together and he wouldn't be mean to me anymore. They made a lot of assumptions there. But they didn't approve of my taking responsibility just for my own life. So we were in fourth grade again, and they said I could stay and play in their sandbox if I would let another boy hurt me. But if I didn't let him hurt me, then I couldn't play with all the other kids. See? Emotional childhood. I walked away from the sandbox and into my adult life. Man, do I love my adult life. And I love the adult people I rub shoulders with now. So the main thing about emotional childhood is that when we are operating out of emotional childhood, we're not regulating ourselves. This means that we're relying on solving for our emotional needs through someone or something else. It could be through drinking, eating, sex, shopping, sleeping, binging on Netflix, social media working, or any other number of buffering activities. We all do it, you guys. And sometimes we lean on someone else to meet our emotional needs. And this is how we solve for our inability to take responsibility for our own emotions and learn how to regulate ourselves. So that's the backdrop for how I want to talk about the differences between abusers and survivors. I wanted you to be able to see how these two types of people interact with each other. So to sum up, the abuser's going to view his target as his plaything, and he solves for his emotional needs by laying heavy burdens of responsibility on her for all of his stuff. And he expects her to be whatever he says she should be. He doesn't allow her to be herself. And an abused target views herself as someone who must somehow deserve to be his plaything. She is programmed to believe that she owes this not only to her husband, but to her God, that she belongs to her husband and is not her own person, or that to be her own person is selfish. So she stays in the abuser's sandbox, believing that she belongs there. Okay, so now I want to talk about 10 things abusive people do and why they do them. And I'm also going to give you some ideas of how you can respond To his emotional childhood from a place of emotional adulthood. Because while you can't grow him up, you do have a golden opportunity to grow yourself up. And that's what I'm talking about when I teach that you go from a caterpillar, which is, you know, the equivalent of a child to an adult butterfly. Okay, so for the rest of this episode, I'm going to talk about five of those things and then I'm going to give you the last five things in next week's part two of this episode, and then I'm going to wrap it all up and say a few other things, too. All right? So, here we go. Number one, abusers are easily offended and take on the role of the victim, forcing their target to take on the role of the offender, even though she may be trying her darndest not to offend. So this means when you try to give your abuser feedback, he will act mortally wounded, like you've just stabbed him in the back and betrayed him to Sauron. He'll tell you how mean you are, or what a nag you are, how you never listen, you're dumb, you don't get it, and you don't trust God, and on and on and on. So this is the equivalent of a little boy throwing sand in your eye. And when you say, stop doing that, They pitch a fit to the teacher and tell her that you just hurt his feelings and aren't playing nice. So what can the abuse target do? Well, first of all, don't feel sorry for him and don't buy into the movie that he is creating in the universe of his brain. When you ask him to take out the trash and he says, you're always treating me like a child. Do you see his movie? In his movie, you are the mean mommy bossing him around. Now, your brain's programming might think, I did a bad thing, and you might feel shame. That's what he's counting on, because when you feel shame, you say you're sorry, and you take out the trash yourself the next time to avoid that feeling of shame. But that's because your brain is already programmed to believe that if you were a good person, everyone around you would be happy. And if they aren't, you must have done something wrong. This is something that many children pick up on as they're growing up. And they can often grow up to become card-carrying members of the People Pleasers Club, always bending over backwards to make sure everyone around them is happy with them. But inside, they are miserable and resentful. And of course, the real problem is Not that other people are unhappy with them or unhappy with themselves, but that they themselves are unhappy with themselves. What's the solution? Accept yourself just the way you are. You are a human who has wants and needs some help around the house, and you have the right to request it just like anybody would. Now, your husband can refuse to help, absolutely. But when you have your own back you might set a boundary, something like this, that says, hey, if you don't help out with the trash, that's totally fine. I'll get it. But don't expect dinner tomorrow night. I'll make sure you've got food in the cupboards to eat, but I don't make dinner for family members who don't help clean up. And if he pitches a toddler fit, you just hum a little tune and take out the trash. And the next night, follow up on your boundary because you've got your own back and you don't need his approval anymore. He's a big boy. You're doing the opposite. You're actually treating him like an adult, the adult he is instead of like a child, okay? He can pour himself some Cheerios if he's hungry, but when you have your own back and only take responsibility for you, then you don't need to worry about other adults. God gives them the responsibility to manage their own emotions You've got enough on your plate just to manage yours. If they need help, they can Google it and get help just like you did. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage? A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also created a companion workbook for Is It Me, also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing, It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of the companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now, let's get back to our episode. Okay, number two. Abusers will love bomb their targets or others that they want to be on their side until their target or the other people fail to give them what they want. Then they are quick to discard the target or the other person and launch a smear campaign of some sort. Why? Because they are like parasites who must latch onto their host and feed off of them. If the blood dries up, they pitch a fit and it's not pretty. This is the equivalent of the little boy in the sandbox bossing everyone around and telling them what to do, and he doesn't throw sand unless someone messes up and doesn't follow his rules, and then the sand starts flying. So what can the abuse target do? Again, don't feel sorry for him. He's not taking personal responsibility like a big boy, so expect him to throw a temper tantrum. Don't be so surprised when that happens. Don't take it personally personally. You're just the Lego character in the story of his life, and you're not doing what he wanted the Lego character to do. But that doesn't mean you are a Lego character. You get to decide what you will do, say, or how you will show up. You can be 100% and totally yourself in full color, and you should. God loves it when you are who he made you to be. And he didn't make you a Lego person. Number three, Abusers play innocent. They are convincing because most of them truly do believe they are innocent. Their brain's programming says so, so it must be true. They have no self-awareness. Being abusive, controlling, manipulating, the, the double speak, withholding information, sideways jabs, blaming, minimizing, and denying all comes naturally to them. And they will never see how they are the ones causing the problems in the marriage, the very problems that they dislike and blame you for. What can the abuse target do? Stop engaging with the abuser. When they spin their web, don't step into it. The abuse target tends to think that if she explains things or articulates the problem clearly, Surely, this grown ass man in front of her will pick up what she's putting down. My dear woman, it works that way with normal people. But you aren't married to a normal person. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you will stop stepping into his web a web he may be unaware he has created, and a web you will never convince him exists. Number four, an abuser cannot see nuance. He can't see the perspectives of others and is unaware there even are other perspectives around him. He is so lost in the matrix, and he likes it there. He is unable to tolerate disagreement. If you don't buy into his universe, you are bad. In fact, the way he sees life is bad and good, black and white, in and out, for and against. There is nothing in between, and zero compromise. Since your religious environment may also see the world in this way, they will work together in agreement to vilify anyone and anything that presents a perspective that doesn't fit into that binary mold. So, what can the abuse target do? Take the red pill and get the Sam Heck out of the Matrix herself! There's a big, wide world out there, and it's pretty amazing— Just because your husband is stuck in elementary school doesn't mean you have to be stuck there too. Quit focusing on getting him out and you work on extracting yourself. You are the only one you can control. Once you are free, you are free indeed. Number five, abusers can't see the layers of problematic issues around them. This is similar to number four. They refuse to revisit their own childhood traumas They don't believe they had any, and if they did, it certainly isn't affecting their lives today. They can't see how their children are suffering in myriads of ways because of dad's blindness, lack of emotional intelligence, and lack of real love. Abusers have rigid rules and regulations that must be followed in order to be accepted, and they will smack-talk anyone who doesn't follow their rules. "'Son, you just swore, you wicked boy!' Daughter, you are wearing shorts, you wicked girl. Condemnation and fear regularly torment their children. The abuser will blame the kids, the culture, the schools, the teachers, the mother, and the friends, but he will never, ever see how he himself is contributing to the emotional milieu his children are marinating in. What can the abuse target do? She can wake up and do her own learning about the reality that surrounds her. She can put a proper name on it and speak it for what it is. She can be the voice of reason and justice and honesty in the lives of her children. She can see them and hear them and know their hearts, even if dad doesn't. She can be a saving grace in their lives. But you know what? She will only be able to do that if she is a saving grace first in her own life. Does she align herself with what God says about her? Or does she align with what her husband says about her? This will be her challenge and her opportunity. And she must do it not only for her own sake, but for the sake of her children. She will never be able to help them further than she is able to help herself. Okay, so I'm going to save the last five things for next week in a part two. If you're new to the Flying Free podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss next week's episode. And of course, my team and I would love it if you take a wee bit of time to leave a rating and a review so that other Christian women can find us. I've also got a public website jam-packed with articles and other good things to help you. It's over at flyingfreenow.com. I want to thank you so much for listening, and until next time, fly free.